0: All right, church, well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and find your way to the Gospel of John again. The Gospel of John. And this week, we are going to be in chapter 16, and we'll pick it up in verse 12. If you're using one of those Black Pew Bibles, that will be on page 902. Now, as you are turning there, let me remind you that we are actually finishing up our last sermon In our Trinity series, which we've been in the last few weeks, where we've been looking at the doctrine of the Trinity, right? The historical Christian doctrine that rightly confesses that the God of the Bible is revealed as a triune God, meaning that we believe in one true God, but that one true God eternally exists as three different. Persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God in three eternal persons. Now, through the course of this series, we I've attempted to try to, to show you guys that this doctrine affects all of our life. It affects all of the life of a Christian. Because simply put, you cannot worship a God that you don't rightly know. In the same way, I can't say, I love my wife's red hair. Right? I love that her favorite food is tuna fish, and that she has the most beautiful big brown eyes. Now, why would that be wrong? Because none of those things are true of my wife. And so... I may be saying I love my wife, but you guys are saying, I don't think you understand who your wife is. I don't know if you really love her, if you don't know who she is. So in the same way, we want to rightly study and know the God in whom we confess to love, that know the God in whom we confess to be following and worshiping. So we, we've been walking through this doctrine of the Trinity just to try to give us a better understanding Of who is the God of the Bible? Who is the saving God? That we don't want to actually even just know, but we want to actually delight in. Right? Delight in Him as He is our Creator, our Savior, and the Keeper of our souls. And so we've been looking at how does God exist within Himself? Who God is affects what He does. Now, and so the first couple of weeks, we kind of tried to pull back the curtain a little bit as best we're able to and look into the realm before creation. What was God doing before he created all of the world? How was God functioning within himself? What was the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit? So we tried to, to look at what's known as the imminent Trinity who is God within himself? And then we we moved on from there to go, okay, if we understand who God is within himself, then that's what we will actually see in the created order. That's what we'll see, right, finitely as humans. How has God revealed himself then to us? And so we started looking at those three distinct persons of the Trinity and how they work in creation how they work in the salvation of sinners, right? the plan of redemption. But remember, this is really, really important to remember, that even though we're looking at distinct roles of the Trinity, the roles of the Trinity work together. They may be distinct in person, but not divisible in who they are or divisible in function. It's important that way we don't drift into a tritheism as many have had. And I mention, and I'm just going to highlight this again, so one way of of, of looking at that, that economics of the Trinity, is we could say God the Father initiates the plan of redemption in sending of God the Son. God the Son accomplishes the plan of redemption by living the life we couldn't live and dying the death we deserved. God the Holy Spirit applies the plan of redemption into the lives of sinners like you and I, who are incapable of saving or believing in and of ourselves. So today we're going to narrow in on that last point. How does God the Spirit apply the work of redemption? And why is the work of the Holy Spirit necessary for anyone to actually be able to say Jesus is Lord. Okay, that's what we're going to look at. And as I've mentioned earlier, but I will make note that it's only in God's sovereignty and provision. It's not because we're master calendar people. Is that we are looking at this doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, as it falls on Pentecost Sunday. And so we thank God that He has... Sent the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit which we will look at in the economy of salvation, the very Spirit who dwells in the hearts of believers to equip them to, for the work of ministry and life unto God, and the Holy Spirit that acts as that down payment, that assurance of salvation, that you can have full assurance, church, that you will never be lost. That if you have come to an understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for you, that work applied to you will never be lost. But I'm going to go ahead and stop there. As I normally do, before we actually look at the text, I just want to take one more moment to pray. And I do that maybe selfishly because I want you to pray for me, but I also want to pray for you one more time. So let's go ahead and just go to the Lord together. Well, Father, as we are about to look at your words and look at the work of your Spirit, uh, Father, I'm I'm thankful that that we can do this. That the very reason that we even have your Word, we even have the Bible, is by the work of the Spirit. As he carried along men to write this across cultures, across generations, where we are thankful for your Word. And I ask that you would You would take your word, Spirit, and that you would illuminate them for every single one of us to rightly see and believe and behold this morning. Father, I also want to pray for our teachers and kiddos next door as they even look at how the Spirit moves in the book of Acts and how the Spirit works in the life of the church, that you just give those teachers wisdom to teach and those little hearts, those kiddos, God, will you just grant them salvation this morning? Just grant them the ability to see and respond. And Lord, we ask all of this because you are good and mighty and we love you and we need you. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, hopefully you found that John passage, but John 16, starting in verse 12, it will be on the screen as well. Let me go ahead and just read to verse 15. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, starting in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me, For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Church, that is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Yeah, thanks be to God indeed. We're thankful for God's word. So I would say that. Now a little bit of context since we're jumping into this conversation And and we've been doing this just through our Time in the Trinity series. But we're jumping into not Jesus praying to God the Father as we see in John 17, but rather in John 16, we're actually looking in at a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And he's explaining to them, right before he goes to the cross, some critical aspects of what does it mean to know and follow God. And in this section, and, and really, if, if you're curious, basically chapters 14 through 16, it's Jesus highlighting the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. He's explaining them who is the Holy Spirit and what his role is going to be, which I can't stress enough how important that is. And I know it can be scary, right? I know probably we come through a plethora of backgrounds when it comes to our experience with the Holy Spirit, or maybe how it's been taught. There's a very wide range when it comes to the Holy Spirit, probably more than any other Christian doctrine. And and I would say this, I see the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and understanding of the Holy Spirit get Askew or get derailed or get unbiblical, probably more than any other doctrine in the church in our culture today. And it tends to go askew in two different ways. Two different ways. Uh, The first way is Christians tend to direct all of their attention to having some kind of palatable, tangible experience with the Holy Spirit, that it's about feeling something, right? It's about having some kind of unique experience, and that drives our understanding of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is just for me to feel something or to to get some kind of unique revelation that nobody's ever heard before, some kind of mystical power even, but it's feeling driven, right? It's all about how you feel. That's one way that you can get askew. The other end of the spectrum is when you tend to ignore the Holy Spirit. right? When then the functional trinity of Christianity becomes God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Bible. And you tend to neglect the personhood of the Holy Spirit and go, you know, actually we don't need him anymore. We have the Word. And I think that's a wrong understanding too and i'll explain what i mean by that as we go but i believe both of those can be deeply flawed deeply flawed they're both ditches that result in a lack of understanding of what the holy spirit is and what he does so here in the gospel of john what we're looking at is jesus giving that insight into who the holy spirit is it's not an exhaustive look I need to get that out front. It's not an exhaustive look of everything about the Holy Spirit, but I do believe it highlights what's most important when it comes to the salvation of sinners, how the Holy Spirit works in the application or applying the plan of redemption. So it's not exhaustive, this text. And really, this sermon is not going to be exhaustive on the work of the Holy Spirit either. But like our text in John, I want to just highlight what does it mean for the Holy Spirit to work in the salvation of sinners. And in order to do that, I'm going to kind of frame it around what I see in the text. And that's basically a a who, what, why framework. Who, what, why. So starting with the who. Starting with the who. Jesus, in our text, highlights the personhood of the Holy Spirit. And you probably had noticed this a little bit with the pronouns that were used. In this section alone, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as he 7 times, 7 times. A couple of those are, right, he will guide you. He will not speak on his own authority. He will declare to you. It's very intentional that when when Jesus spoke this and and John recorded this, he used the masculine pronoun he instead of a neutral pronoun it. And why is that? Because the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not an impersonable force. He is not an it. Like that is portrayed in like Star Wars movie. Like the force is this impersonable force. Nor is it some mystical energy. It's not a mystical energy that you can just summon and ask for. Or try to harness through a variety of actions. But rather, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. It's how we describe Him. And just like God the Father, and just like God the Son, the Holy Spirit has always been God. If you recall back in Genesis 1, when we looked at the beginning of all creation, before the world was was brought beauty and order into it, we see that the Spirit was hovering over the face of the earth. So He was just as part of creation as the Father and the Son were. He has always been God. And He's always had this role of bringing beauty out of chaos. So this Holy Spirit has eternally existed in the Godhead. And like the persons of the Trinity, like all the persons of the Trinity, he knows his role in the plan of redemption, right? That eternal plan to save sinners. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see references to the Spirit at work. Now, a couple of those references are, we see the Holy Spirit resting on individual believers, empowering them for certain tasks, empowering them to see the things of who God is and what he is doing, but it was always temporary. It was temporary. And yet, if you were to read through, and, and I think David does this with the Psalms really well, is there's this longing for the Holy Spirit to be permanent. This longing for, for God to permanently be with his people. I think there was an understanding that life was not about you getting to God, but God coming to you. So that's the who. The who of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. Now, I think Jesus, when he, as he continues, he starts to explain the what, and even a little bit of the when of the Spirit. So look back at your Bibles. Look at verse 13. Jesus is reminding the followers... That the promise of the Holy Spirit, that this promise of salvation, that eternal plan of God moving forward with the Holy Spirit, involves a deep work from Him. That He is coming. We see that like when the Spirit comes, He will guide you into all truth. But He isn't there yet. But He's been promised. This is not the first time we see a promise of the Holy Spirit. And I want to show you this. This is from the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. One of the clearest promises that we see in the Old Testament about the permanence of the Holy Spirit to come. Look at this. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 26. And he says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So at this time, we've only seen the Holy Spirit resting, resting on believers, but not indwelling believers. So it's this longing, this longing for the Holy Spirit to come and do the thing in which Ezekiel promised and also that Jesus is promising here in John 16. But yet, Jesus is pretty clear that that day had not arrived, right, when this text, when when we're recording this text. That the day of the Holy Spirit coming had not come yet. And why is that? Well, look at the end of verse 13. Jesus says about the Holy Spirit that he will declare to you the things that are to come, meaning that there's still things that need to happen before the Holy Spirit is sent. And what is that? It's the rest of the plan of redemption. The Holy Spirit can't apply the plan of redemption unless there is a fulfilled, accomplished plan already taking place. So the Holy Spirit can only declare what has already been done in this setting. So we see in this text that, that Jesus is clearly trying to tell us that the role of the Holy Spirit is going to be in the exaltation of Jesus Christ, in His work. So we see in verse 14, very clearly, it says, He will glorify who, church? Me. Speaking of Jesus. For He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And we know from looking at last week, at the work of God the Son, what was it that Jesus had to do? Well, according to the plan of redemption, God the Father was sending God the Son. Right? Jesus came into our world fully God, yet took on humanity. And Jesus lived a life we couldn't live. Right? He perfectly fulfilled every law that led to righteousness. But yet what Jesus did with that perfect life is he went to the cross with it. And he took on there a substitutionary death. Not a death he deserved, but a death that we deserved. And the beauty of the gospel is there was this great exchange that happened on the cross. Where Jesus gave us his righteousness. said, this is the life I have lived. I'm giving it to you. And I'm going to take from you what you deserve. And that was the wrath of God. Under the penalty of death. So then ultimately what we see then is the Holy Spirit's role is then to a- apply, to declare that then to the church. That's the why of the Holy Spirit. His role is to declare what Christ has done. And that's why they were waiting in that moment. But yet, where do we stand in human history? Right On the other side of the cross. On the other side of Pentecost. That's why we celebrate Pentecost, and we remember that the work of God the Son was finished. And because it was finished, and that Jesus was exalted back to the right hand of God, then the Holy Spirit can come, because He has things to declare to you and I. He has things to declare of what Jesus has done on your behalf, on my behalf, church. And God the Holy Spirit has been on the move ever since, right, applying the work of Christ into our hearts. It's why, right, over 2,000 years later, we're standing in Minden, Nevada, talking about this. We're a long way from Jerusalem, church. But yet, God has been on the move. But how does that happen then? Right, how does that actually happen? How do we get here? Right, how does somebody... Living in the year 2022, right, in in Nevada, how do we get to a spot where we understand the life, death, and resurrection of a man who lived thousands of years ago that we have never seen, yet we love him and we're following him? How does that happen? Well, the Bible's pretty clear about that. It happens by us believing in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Or that's another way of saying the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. Right? How do we get there? From turning from sin and turning to Christ. Or as Jesus describes it, of being born again. Being born again. But how are you born again? How do you come to a place where you actually believe the gospel? How do you even end up in a place that's preaching the gospel? Well, that, friends, is the economy of the Holy Spirit. Look back at your text. Look at verse 14 again. I want to just keep highlighting this. Jesus says, He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And when he does that, when he takes what is, belongs to Jesus, right, and that's his perfect righteousness, that's his heart that's bent after fulfilling and following who God is and what he has done, everything that belongs to Christ, salvation that belongs to Christ, and really Christ alone, that's declared to you. And when that happens, when the Holy Spirit declares that to you, something happens within you that you're like, Okay, I get it. I get it. Not just, not just up here, right? But in my totality of my being, I get it. I believe it. It's called regeneration, church. Regeneration when that happens. And that, and here's really important, that church is an act of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration is an act of the Holy Spirit who according to his perfect timing and his perfect will decides to open up the hearts and minds of sinners like you and I, and we can go, that's who Jesus is? That's what he has done to me? That's who this Jewish man is who lived all these years ago? You're telling me that the cross that killed this Jewish man, that was actually a penal substitutionary death on my behalf? Yeah. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, church. Allowing us to see, behold, and believe who Jesus is. And we know this as an act of the Spirit. And it has to be an act of the Spirit. Because I believe, and maybe, and I don't know all of you guys' stories, but I know many of you guys' stories. But I would say for many of us in this room, you did not become a Christian the first time you heard the gospel preached. It wasn't just you intellectually understanding the facts of the gospel, but something else had to happen. Because it wasn't just the first time you actually heard the gospel preached that you became a Christian. So what happened? What happened for you to have to go from the gospel just being a bunch of facts to being this irresistible understanding of how all of life makes sense? It probably wasn't the first time. It happened because the Holy Spirit was at work. And let me, and this is my story. Okay, when we grew up, we went to uh, Hilltop Community Church. It was about a church about 20 minutes north, okay, right before you're about to enter into Carson City. And when we attended there, um, the founding pastor of that church, his name was Joel Berger. I know many of you guys know him or have spent some time in that church even. Now, Joel regularly preached the gospel from the pulpit there. He regularly preached the gospel from the pulpit there. You know, he did seem to always be in the book of Romans, though, which I never understood until I became a preacher. And now I'm looking at the book of Romans like, oh, yeah, it's going to take 10 years for me to get to that book. But what I know, and I have a lot of respect for Joel, and I know that Joel knows the gospel, and he preaches the gospel week in and week out. But yet, I didn't become a Christian until I was 19 years old. And in fact, it wasn't listening to Joel Berger preach. It was listening to some guy, I can't even remember his name, preach the gospel out of Matthew 5 while I was sitting in a ballroom in Portland, Oregon. A hotel ballroom in Portland, Oregon. So what happened? Did the message change at 19 for me? Did I get a better Hearing that I was able to hear the speaker more, right? Did did I get smarter all of a sudden? We have witnesses here to say at 19, no, no, you did not get smarter at 19. (laughs) In fact, it's probably the very opposite. No, what happened? What happened, church? The Holy Spirit moved in my heart and in my soul and allowed me for the first time to understand who Christ is and to understand who I was outside of Christ. And it prompted me to believe and to confess it. And and, and hear me on this. The Spirit doesn't just reveal sin. You know who just reveals sin? Satan does. So the true work of the Holy Spirit is not just the conviction of sin, even though that's an important role of the Holy Spirit, is to convict you of sin. But let me show you this from Romans 5.5. 5. What accompanies the conviction of sin is also the heart of God towards that sin. Where in Romans 5.5, 5, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit actually pours out the love of God into our hearts. That it's not just a man on the cross, but it's God demonstrating his love for me on the cross. It's God showing that he loves me even when I have rejected him, even when I was still an enemy of him. And it changes us, doesn't it? And listen, I know that maybe, maybe you prayed a prayer at some point in your life. Or maybe you, you walked an aisle and you came up to receive the gospel. But I would tell you, based off what Scripture teaches us, is it wasn't those things that saved you. No, actually, those things were a response to what God did to you in your seat, or the night before is God took your heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh, and then you were prompted to respond to the gospel. That's the work of the Holy Spirit changing you. Listen, and I'm not saying that you didn't make a real decision to follow Christ. You absolutely did. All I'm trying to communicate to you is that God did something first. You chose God, but God chose you first. That's an important And and You don't have to turn there, but let me just show you this, or read this to you out of 1 Corinthians, when Paul says that no one hear this, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, or in the Holy Spirit. It's always been a work of God. The Holy Spirit awakening your soul. If you know your Bibles, there's this The story that Ezekiel tells about these dry bones coming to life, right, taking on flesh, becoming human again, almost a recreation. And what that story is intended to be is just to remind you that through the preached Word of God, the Holy Spirit moves in the hearts of men and women like you and I who are dead to sin, but He can make us alive to God. Dead people can't make their own choices. Alive people can and so we need the work of the Holy Spirit to take, make us alive to God and respond to Him. And when that happens, here's some really good news for you to hear. And when that happens, church, the Holy Spirit takes residence inside of you. Takes residence up inside of you. That you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. God Himself and the Holy Spirit for the rest of your earthly life is committed To actually exalting Christ in your life. My goodness, how good news is that? That God himself will take up residence in you and dedicate his whole personhood to exalting and glorifying Christ in and through you. Verse 14, remember? He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the primary service of the Holy Spirit is in the exaltation of the Son. It's why it, I'm not going to try to be mean here but I need to be clear it's why it boggles my mind church that when I hear people talking about the Holy Spirit and talking about this experience of the Holy Spirit usually it's devoid of anything that has to do with the exaltation of Jesus Christ it has nothing to do with him and yet they're celebrating it it has nothing to do with anything that's grounded in the Bible. Remember, who wrote the Bible? The Holy Spirit was the divine author of the book. And so what the Holy Spirit does would certainly align with the book, wouldn't it? But yet, how often do we see people saying, I was prompted by the Spirit to do this, and it's actually in contradiction of the, Holy, or, of the Bible. It's not the Holy Spirit, church. It's something else. It may be another spirit entirely. And not one that you want to dabble with. And so I say this in love. I'm not against pursuing this relationship with the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not against that. But I will say, remember, what is the true work of the Holy Spirit? It's the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And so, so pursue that. Pursue the exaltation of Jesus Christ, and I can assure you that the Holy Spirit will be a part of that. That's his M.O. That's what he loves to do. So our goal, then, is not to seek some experience. Nor is it to ignore him, but to seek what the Spirit seeks. And that is the exaltation of Jesus. So what do we do? We we seek the things that grow our affections for Christ. The things which he's actually designed us to grow our affections for Christ. Even the practical things in life. We see the Holy Spirit at work in. For example, we see the Holy Spirit throughout the Word committed to the exaltation of Christ in preaching. So you want to get somewhere For true preaching to be centered on the person and work of Christ. It's good for your soul to be reminded of that all the time. You want to grow? You want to be fed, Christian? Feast on the exaltation of Christ. The Holy Spirit also changes our affections to that of Jesus and the Father. He's committed to guiding you, committed to convicting you of sin so you can turn from it and you actually can turn to Christ. He's committed to being your advocate against all the things that try to remind us of our deserved condemnation outside of Jesus, which is such good news. That we have an advocate who when we hear lies about who we used to be or who we are tempted to become, We have an advocate in the Holy Spirit who says, no, you have been bought and purchased by the blood of Christ. No one can take that away from you. The Holy Spirit is also committed to the renewal of our mind, which thanks be to God for that. doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is your conscience, but it means that he is working alongside your conscience for you to understand and believe and exalt The second person of the Trinity. He's at work. Always at work. Listen, and this is important. This means that God the Spirit does not merely save you, right? Doesn't merely change your heart to understand the gospel and then gets in like the back seat and goes, I hope you figure things out. I saved you, but now it's kind of up to you to figure things out of the Christian life. Thanks be to God, that's not the case. We would all be in a lot of trouble if that was. But rather, when the Holy Spirit saves you and gives you this new heart, then he begins this work of changing your affections, changing all of the way that you view life. So you have what the Puritans call this expulsive power of a new affection. That you begin to desire the things that Jesus desires, that God desires. And we know that affections actually lead to actions right what you want to do is what you do that's always the case so how do we grow in the things that we actually want to do and don't do the things that we don't want to do that's the process of sanctification which the holy spirit is committed to doing that right that fancy way of saying become more and more like christ sometimes that's fast sometimes that's slow Can I get a witness on that one? That's slow. It's slow at times. But the Holy Spirit is committed to your life, your desires, and even your obedience to the things of God. Not in order that you would get God, but because you already have Him. And you not just have salvation from God. You have God Himself, for crying out loud. The Holy Spirit says, I'm not going to, I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to indwell you myself. That's why the Spirit is also called the Spirit of Adoption. And we talked about this a few weeks back, about God the Father. But it's the Holy Spirit who's constantly reminding and teaching you that you are no longer a slave to sin, but you are what, Christian? You're a son or a daughter of the Most High King, that you belong to Him that you've been brought into this, this love between the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit, that you actually get to be a part of that, that eternal love that exists between the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to bring you into that so you can experience that. This is the Holy Spirit also, even in the darkest times of your life, when you don't even know what to pray for, The Holy Spirit prays on your behalf. The Holy Spirit is committed to you, Christian. But not for your sake, but for the glory of the Godhead. And that's really good news for us. So to conclude, I hope you have a better idea of the who, right, the when, the what of the Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit works in the economy of salvation. And like all of the persons of the Trinity, right, we could spend a whole lot more time on this, couldn't we? But we're going to end there today, and we're going to end there today, and this is the only thing that I want you to do, is I want you to remember and delight in the Trinity. Remember and delight in the Trinity. That the very reason that anyone is a Christian, the very reason that anyone has ever believed the gospel, the reason that the message and the work of Jesus can be applied to sinners like you and I is only because the triune God committed to this before the foundation of the world. And if you're not a Christian this morning, you're not quite sure where you're at, I would say consider why you're even here this morning. We don't believe in coincidences as a church. There's no such thing as coincidences. It's a hard word to say. <laughs> Words are hard, I know. Like, especially for you, Luke. We believe in a sovereign God. And so I would encourage you in these next few moments that we have as a church is just consider what, what do you think about Christ? Why would it be that we would be standing here in Minden, Nevada, so far removed from the hill of Calvary if something real didn't happen there? And for all of us who by God's grace We've been able to experience this work of the Trinity in showing us the work of God the Son and applying that into our hearts. What do we get to do? We get to praise Him. We get to praise Him for that work. And so we're going to end our time by singing that song that we've been singing throughout our Trinity series called All Praise to Him. which you'll notice the third verse of that song highlights the work of the Holy Spirit. The first verse highlights the work of God the Father. The second verse highlights the work of God the Son. The third verse highlights the work of God the Spirit. So we're going to respond by singing that.